Amen. Well, welcome, everyone. Uh, my name's Amy, if you didn't catch that already. Um, and if you're new here or visiting, I think there's some people visiting, you're very welcome. I'm really pleased that you're able to visit us. Um, well, firstly, I wanted to introduce a friend. <laughs> it's not a friend at all. A guy. There he is. Uh, his name is Eric Liddell. Um, some of you might well have heard of him. Um, now, Eric was born in 1902, and, uh, and he was a Scottish Olympic champion. Um, and he was also a devout Christian. He had completely given his life over to Jesus. And from um, his school days, they had recognized in his school that he was an outstanding sportsman. He actually was a really um, great rugby player as well. Um, um, but he particularly excelled in running. Some of you might have seen the movie. I'm going to go and watch it. I haven't actually seen the movie, but um, I'm going to go and watch it. Um, but he particularly excelled in sprinting, the 100 meters and the 200 meter running race. And, uh, and as his um, journey went on, he was invited to the Paris Olympics in 1924. And he was invited to do the 100 meter race. Um, but because the heats of the 100 meters were on a Sunday, he withdrew from the race because he didn't want to run on a Sunday, even though he knew this was his strongest event, this was his strongest competition, that he knew that he had a really good chance of winning the Olympics, he withdrew it um, and he forfeited his place. Instead, he decided to enter into the 400 meter race because the 400 meters meant that he didn't have to run on a Sunday. Now, he wasn't expected to do well um, in the 400 meters. He wasn't expected to win. But just before he went up to the race, just before he went to run, someone put a piece of paper in his hands. And, uh, and he unraveled um, this paper. And on this paper was 1 Samuel 2.30. And the piece of paper said, those who honor me, I will honor and so he was in that moment filled with confidence that God was with him, that God was in the decision, the honoring of him uh, not to run on a Sunday. And he stepped up to the 400 meters and he basically sprinted as fast as he possibly can the first 200 meters, which he knew he was good at. He knew he could do that bit. And then the gap was so large that he ended up winning the 400-meter race, and he actually got the Olympic uh, gold medal for the 400 meters. Completely and utterly unexpected. And when he was interviewed later on, they asked him, you know, what, what happened? And he said this, quoted this, he said, the secret of my success over the 400 meters is that I run the first 200 meters as fast as I can, and then the second 100 meters, with God's help, I run faster. <laughs> he then um, decided to, um, he, he left competitions, he stopped um, his running um, in that way, and became a missionary in China, uh, alongside his wife. And again, quote, he said, God made me for China. So he gave up the running and went to uh, China to become a missionary. And in 1941, he was put in prison, a prison of war camp by the Japanese army. And, uh, and it was revealed after his death, he was there. And after his death, it was revealed that he was actually given um, an opportunity to leave the camp. Um, it was like a prisoner exchange program. 
Um, but instead of taking this place to leave, he actually gave up his position um, and gave it to a pregnant woman who was in the camp so she could then go free. And after his death, you know, so many things came out about him, so many things about his character. You know, people have um, written about him that um, he had this unbelievable ability to forgive, that he would pray for his enemies whilst walking around this camp. He he would um, serve the elderly all day. It was said that he um, taught Bible classes to the children of the camp. He organized games for the children, as well as teaching them science. (laughs) And, uh, And all of this in the most horrific circumstance. No food. You know, horrific circumstances. And, uh, and the children of the camp, it was known that he was called Uncle Eric. <laughs> and he later died in 1945, and it was just before Liberation Day he died. And he died of a brain tumor. And again, it was thought um, that his constant service of others, his laying down his life for others, um, and the malnutrition completely sped up his life, it sped up his death. And so he actually died um, a self-sacrificial death in 1945. Now, I read that this week, and, um, and I honestly was just blown away. I've written here on my notes, wow. And it just isn't enough. What a picture of a life given over to the purposes of God. What um, a life that is just completely laid bare, laid down his own agendas, laid down his preferences, laid down what he thought would have been a gold medal to honor God and to serve God's people. And you know, what's amazing about it is he's actually still spoken about today, isn't he? I'm speaking about him right now. But there's also a monument, I think, um, that's going to come up. There's a monument um, in honor of him in China. You know, what a legacy, what a legacy, what a hero of the faith. And uh, over Lent, um, as you know, those that have been journeying with us um, over the last couple of months, you know, we um, have been looking at the cross and the impact and the meaning of the cross. We've been delving into that in, in detail. And then, obviously, on Easter um, Sunday, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus and we had people baptized. Um, and now we're Entering into a mini-series, if you like, we're, we're having a bit of a mini-series um, looking at what it means now to walk in the way of Jesus, walking in light of the cross and everything Jesus has done for us. And last week, uh, Johnny spoke um, intensely about surrender. I think we were all like, Ugh. But it was so powerful, wasn't it? This life that we are invited into is a life of complete surrender, a journey of getting over ourselves, laying down our wills. You know, as we accept Jesus into our lives and follow him, our lives are now hidden in Christ. And you know, that might sound scary, but that's actually the best news you are going to hear ever that our lives are now hidden in Christ. We have died to our old selves, and by his spirit, Jesus lives in us. We get to have Jesus live in us. You know, as we take his hand and let him lead our lives, we find that life is so much better. It's so much richer. It's so much fuller. And 
this doesn't mean easier. This doesn't mean a life without suffering. It doesn't mean it's like, woohoo, happy all the time. It doesn't mean that. It means fulfillment. It means fullness. It's a, it's a way of being that is full, living his way, not my own way. And I, um, I recently turned 40. These earrings are actually from my 40th birthday. Uh, but I uh, recently turned 40, and I had this um, really beautiful time with some really close friends. And, uh, and we were having dinner together just to celebrate me <laughs> and celebrating our, uh, my birthday. And we went round. Well, I didn't, I didn't invite this, but someone encouraged people to say nice words about me, which was really lovely, and I received these words. And at the end, uh, people were like, well, what do you want to say? You know, what do you have to say for the 40 years that you've lived? And, uh, and the only thing in the moment that came out of me um, is that I just, was, I just feel so grateful. That's the only way to explain it, that my, my 40 years, I accepted Jesus when I was 21, I gave up my will, if you like, and I'm still doing it every day, but I gave up my will for the first time, and I allowed Jesus to take the reins of my life. And I can honestly say, I have experienced a fullness of life that I just didn't expect to feel or to, to experience. You know, I've, he's invited me into adventures that I would never in a million years have chosen for myself. You know, he's redeemed and restored and he's set me free and he's broken insecurities and he's cut chains that held me back. He's given me friendships that are so deep and so life-giving. And so I just was like, I'm so grateful. I'm just so grateful for this life that he's given me. And I feel so compelled to tell others about it, to grasp his hand, to take hold of his life for you, because it is so much better. And you know, being full of Jesus, it looks like more of him. It looks like, as Galatians says, it's, it's the fruit of the spirit. It's more love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and gentleness, and faithfulness, and goodness, and self-control. You know, we all want that, don't we? And I feel like Eric Liddell got it. He got this. You know, he, it would seem, listening to his story and hearing what he did, that he was able to forget himself. He was able to sort of get over himself in service to God. And, uh, you know, he's living for something bigger than his own achievements, something much bigger and more full and exciting than our own sense of what we can achieve in this life. And, you know, I want this. I really, really do. <laughs> I really want this for myself. I want more of this in my life. And I want more of this for you, for this church. You know, we were made to give our lives over to Jesus. We were made for Jesus to live in and through us. You know, I want to be so in love with Jesus, so utterly consumed by his love that I don't care about anything else. You know, nothing else matters. I, don't, I want to care less about myself and what people think of me and did I offend that person and what does that person think and my reputation and I just feel like, oh, I don't want any of that anymore. I want to be so utterly in love that none of that matters. I don't want to miss any part 
of the kingdom story that God is wanting to reveal through my life. And that's for all of us. There is a very exciting journey, a very exciting purpose that God, if we allow him, will use us in for his kingdom purposes, for his will, for redemption on earth, for seeing people set free, for healings, for families like we've been praying, for children to be set in families. We can be a part of that. We can be a part of that. And all we need to do is let Jesus take the reins. And you know, this is a daily choice, isn't it? It's a daily choice. And it's a lifelong journey. It doesn't just happen overnight, does it? It's step by step by step by step. Daily choice. And so if we want to be these kinds of people who trust him, who are given over to his purposes, how then? How on earth do we live this out? How do we, um, I guess, how do we get to this place of radical trust? How do we even live this life of surrender like Eric did? How did he do that? (laughs) And I think such a large part of this journey is learning to be fed and sustained in a different way. You know, what was Eric feeding on? What compelled him? I'm pretty sure it wasn't energy drinks. (laughs) That was a joke. (laughs) But it wasn't, was it? It's not, oh, take the right energy drink and then you'll be compelled to do a bit more kingdom work. That's not it, is it? We're not fed and sustained to be radical in the ways that Jesus is calling his church to be radical. It's soul food. We need to be fed in the deepest parts of our being. And, you know, this isn't, this isn't a journey of striving. <laughs> it's not um, a, this, this life of, like, just trying harder. You know, oh, I'm going to just surrender a little bit more tomorrow, you know. And we can, we can get like that, can't we? It's like, I'm just going to try really hard in worship. I'm going to try really hard with my prayer life. I'm going to try, try. And it becomes this sort of like striving for more of his kingdom. But this whole journey of walking with Jesus is letting go. It's just letting go. <laughs> and allowing him to feed us, allowing him to sustain us. And even as I was sitting in worship just now, I was like, Lord, I'm weak, you know, all that. I can't do this. And, uh, and I just felt like God was saying, just, you know, just chill out. <laughs> just receive. Just receive. You know, I'm there like, okay, Lord, I, you know, please, can you do this? Can you do that? Are you okay? Okay, you know, repent of this, repent of that. I'm a heart right, da, da, da. And he's like, whoa, just chill out. Just receive my grace. Just receive my mercy. Just receive my love. Just receive. He's done it all. This is a journey of just receiving, of soaking in the sustenance of Jesus. (laughs) That is all it is. It's really hard, isn't it? But that is it. And, you know, we're going to just turn, as we read to, um, we're going to turn to John 6. Um, I'm just going to really simply um, pick out a few things here from um, John 6. But the context of the reading that we've just heard that Hannah read to us is um, basically when we um, get to this passage, Jesus has just fed 5,000 people. Um, And he's fed the crowd, the 5,000, with a couple of pieces of bread from a little boy and a couple of fish. And that has fed 
thousands and thousands of people. Anyway, Jesus and his disciples have basically um, gone to Capernaum, 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 whatever, Capernaum, and um, and the next day um, they're in Capernaum and this crowd comes to follow him. So we meet Jesus, we're meeting him in this chapter, in this verse where the crowds are like coming to grab him. You know, they're coming to, to find Jesus. And, uh, and this is what Jesus says to them. Jesus addresses them and he says, verse 26, if you want to read again, says, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me. Not because you saw signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Just jump down, verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You know, we all recognize, don't we, our basic need for food. You know, we get hungry, don't we? We get thirsty. We need a McDonald's after this, maybe, to sustain us. Uh, Don't do that. Um, But, you know, we all know that we need food and drink, don't we, to to keep us alive physically. But we also know, if if you are reflective at all, we recognize that we are hungry in a much deeper sense. You know, our, our, we have a soul hunger, this need for deep nourishment in our soul. And Jesus confronts the crowd and he says, you're only here because I satisfied your physical need. You know, he's speaking into their desire to be fed physically. You know, our, our hunger, it drives us. You know, we all know the feeling of those um, hunger pangs. It hurts, doesn't it, sometimes? You know, you want to go and satisfy that feeling of being hungry really quickly. It's like, oh, give me a banana, or give me this, give me a biscuit. You know, it's like, oh, I don't like that feeling of, of being hungry. But it's the same with, with our physical, it's, our, it's the same with our soul hunger, that, that deeper sense. You know, our inner beings are hungry, and we also want to satisfy them really quickly. It's like, oh, I'm, 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 my soul is hungry. I need to satisfy. It hurts. And we then look in Jesus' words. You know, we, we then feed on the nourishment, the food that ultimately spoils. But what Jesus is inviting the crowd into is to, is to eat and receive a different kind of food, a food that will nourish the very depths of our inner beings. You know, this, this nourishment that Jesus is talking about is eternal, and it, it, it lasts forever. It's an eternal nourishment that is on offer for us. And uh, I have um, some wonderful friends, and one of my um, friends, she um, hears God <laughs> very clearly, and, uh, and she had a dream about me uh, the other day, and she came over to me, and she said, oh, I think the Lord's spoken to me about you. <clears throat> I'm just going to share what I saw. And I was like, oh, okay, you know. Um, and uh, she basically said that she had this picture of, uh, for me um, of a chicken. <laughs> and it was this picture of a chicken, um, in, and, uh, and I was the chicken. And, uh, and this chicken was just pecking on the ground. 
like just pecking on the ground, eating the food off the ground, you know, all these little bits. It was just going around, picking, pecking, 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 pecking. And a head, you know, she said the head wasn't coming up, just like going for it. And this, this chicken was just getting fatter and fatter and fatter. And, uh, and she, this, this person's words said, um, in, the, in the dream, it was like the, the chicken was either going to explode or just poo it all out everywhere. And I was like, oh, gosh. <laughs> Okay. She went, it's okay, it's okay. There was a second part to the, the dream. I was like, okay, it's good. I don't really want to do either of those things. Um, and uh, anyway, she said the second part of the dream was that this chicken was taken out. So this chicken was taken out off the ground and placed in a spacious place. And instead of the pecking of the floor, the ground, what she saw was the, ha- the, the farmer had um, food on his hand. And he knelt down and he started to feed the chicken with his hands. <laughs> and, uh, and I was pondering. It didn't really take much pondering needed, does it? But I was pondering and uh, praying about this image that was, just seemed so right. You know, when you receive a word and you're like, oh, that is such a true word. And, um, and it was clear It was clear to me that what God was saying is that there are parts of me, there are parts of my soul that are deeply hungry, that are hungry, yet I've been seeking nourishment in my own strength. You know, I've been seeking nourishment off the ground instead of allowing him to feed me and sustain me. You know, I wasn't letting him because I was getting fat by feeding off the food on the ground. And it was a real challenge to me. And it still is. You know, he wants to feed us from his hand. You know, God wants to feed us his, himself. And you know, perhaps some of you, this is a challenge to you as well. You know, what are some of the things that you are, um, that are satisfying your hunger you know, as Jesus says, what is some of the food that you're feeding on that, that spoils the scraps? You know, is it the hunger for, hunger for approval? To seek nourishment and what people think of you so it leads to striving? You know, is it, is it the hunger for recognition, this deep hunger for recognition? So you'll just seek nourishment from success. Oh, if I success, that will feed the hunger. Is it the hunger of reputation? Striving then to, to, to nourish with this, this, this um, striving for perfect self. Is it the hunger for affirmation of the physical beauty? Again, nourishment is perfecting the image Is it hunger for acceptance, hunger for safety, seeking food that will make you as secure and in control as you possibly can be? Is that feeding some of this deeper hunger? And you know, we know it's scraps. We know it's the spoils because it doesn't last. It leaves you wanting more. That's the thing. The scraps and the spoils, they just leave you wanting more. It doesn't last. And you know, the thing about feeding off the scraps is 
it keeps you fixed on yourself. It keeps your eyes fixed on yourself. And he wants us to look at him. He wants us to look at his face and to be fed on what is eternal. Food that endures forever, that lasts. And you know, this food, this food is available here and this food is available now. And he is inviting us to feed off of him, to be completely sustained. And the reason that I'm saying is this, that we need to be sustained by him in order to live these lives that are radical, these lives that are given over, these sacrificial lives. We have to be fed and sustained by him and not the scraps. I'm going to suggest just a, a few ways in which we might do that. Firstly, we are fed as we come to him. In verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. You know, I think the, the first, I guess the first part of this is recognizing that we are hungry. Jesus says, come to me. Don't hide. Don't hide your hunger. Don't just run after the scraps. Come to me. He doesn't say, come to me, all those that are not experiencing any form of deep spiritual hunger. Come to me, all those that are feeling fully sorted, you know, and restored and satisfied. He invites us to come in our hunger. And this takes real humility, doesn't it? We're invited um, to come to Jesus who is personal. This isn't, an, he, you know, this isn't an outside force. This is Jesus inviting us to feed off of him, to feed off this relationship with him who knows us ultimately way better than we know ourselves. And so for, uh, so for some of you, perhaps it is the beginning part of tonight is recognizing that you're hungry and recognizing where you're feeding off the scraps and the spoils. I was reading this book this week, um, and uh, it's called um, Soul Keeping. It's a really good book, actually, by John Ortberg. And, uh, and I read this, and um, I'm just going to read it to you because it really spoke to me, and I think it might do for you. <clears throat> it says, Our souls begin to grow in God when we acknowledge our basic neediness. <laughs> Francis Fenlon was a, a brilliant spiritual writer and successful cleric who stood up to the King of France and allowed himself to be displaced as royal tutor. He lived disgraced in exile, but in obscurity and humiliation, his soul thrived. He understood the condition of his soul. In order to make your prayer, this is what he wrote, in order to make your prayer more profitable, it would be well from the beginning to picture yourself as a poor, naked, miserable wretch, perishing of hunger, who knows but one man of whom he can ask or hope for help, or as a sick person covered with sores and ready to die unless some pitiful physician will take him in hand and heal him. These are true pictures of our condition before God. Your soul is more bare of heavenly treasure than the poor beggar is of earthly possessions. 
Your soul is infinitely more sin-sick than that sore-stricken patient. And God alone can heal you. Good people, he says, especially people of faith, do not like to think of themselves as poor beggars who are sin-sick. We fill our soul's desires with everything that counters that image, trying to convince ourselves that everything is well with our souls. It isn't. Our souls faint and yearn and cry out for God. We need to recognize that we are needy. And in order to do this, it takes humility to come with our need and come before God. Because as we say we can't do this, as we say we're hungry, we then are, we give access to be filled. We give access to be filled. Secondly, we are fed as we nourish on his truth. <clears throat> Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Feed on the truth of the gospel. You know, we are nourished by the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. You know, God loves us so much that he gave everything. He gave himself in order that we might know him. And you know, this word um, know in the Bible, you know, this is a, a word of intimate knowing. You know, it's the same word that you'd get in a covenant um, relationship, a marital relationship. This is a, an intimate knowing that he gave himself up. He gave himself that he would know you that intimately. You know, we nourish on that. We feed on that truth. That we are known, we are treasured. And when he looks at you, he says, very good. Every single one of you, he looks at you and he says, very good. You know, in Jesus, we have been set free. We know this. We have, we've been forgiven. <clears throat> we've been made right with God. And this is the gospel. And, you know, even saying all of this, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like, this is our food. This is the nourishment of what Jesus has done for us. We need to feast on this truth daily. Feast on the gospel daily. You know, I've been um, reading Ephesians, um, particularly at the moment, <clears throat> and Romans. You know, I just go there to, to, to remember, to feast on everything that Jesus has done. As Paul so articulately, articulately writes <clears throat> what the gospel is, what Jesus has done for us. <clears throat> and so this looks like feeding on scripture. You know, the more we receive the truth, the more we um, understand the reality of what Jesus has done for us, the more we fall in love with him. It's a response to what he has done. And uh, a few weeks ago, Johnny was um, preaching uh, on one of the sermons for the cross, one of those weeks. And, uh, and as he was um, preaching, I was just sat there. And, uh, and as he was articulating what Jesus has done, I just started like, what, just sobbing in my chair just then just felt such an overwhelming sense of gratitude. And, you know, it filled me. It fed me. And it led to response. You know, I, I, just, I just felt so grateful. I just felt so in love with Jesus when I received the truth of what he has done. And we see um, throughout the Gospels, you know, 
that people have done. <clears throat> Some of the disciples lived radical lives after the death and resurrection of Jesus. They, they, would die, they died for this message. You know, they lived radically. We even, um, again, I won't go into them, but so many stories of people, um, thank you, breaking out of cultural n- norms to, to devote themselves. You know, the woman um, that goes and just pours perfume over Jesus' feet. You know, she is breaking down every cultural norm. You know, she, she, was, she was spat at. You know, it was so not what you did, but she just didn't care. She was so unbelievably in love with Jesus that nothing else matters. How did she get that? She received his love. She was saved by grace. I think that we need to nurture that. We need to nourish ourselves um, on that truth again. I was listening to um, a podcast the other day as I was going for a run. I was actually listening to um, this random um, podcast on... um, it was an N.T. Wright was speaking about leadership. One of the things that really caught my attention was he was talking about the Apostle Paul being a really great leader. And, uh, and he basically said, he said, you know, Paul, the Apostle Paul wasn't um, a great leader because he went to a really good leadership college. <laughs> he was a really incredible leader because he was passionately in love with Jesus. You know, in Romans, he says, it's Christ's love that compels me. This isn't about trying harder. This isn't about getting the right techniques. This is about falling more passionately in love with Jesus, that you don't care about yourself. And people want that. People follow people who love, who are convicted, who are passionate about something. Let's be passionate and convicted about the love of Jesus. Thirdly, we are fed as we obey his will. You know, earlier in John's gospel, Jesus says, he said, Jesus says this, my food is to do the will of the Father. And so as we give up our will, as we seek his will for our lives, we're fed. (laughs) We're deeply fed. And it's so upside down, isn't it? It, It's so counter. As we sacrifice our lives, we actually get full. (laughs) We feed off of his will in our lives. And it's so much better food. (sighs) Part of the feeding is to do the will of the Father. And it's it's when we step in to obedience. You know, when we um, respond to those little nudges, you know, those moments when... God is asking you to do something, you know, in, however big or small. You know, when you've, you know when you've done it, when you've stepped out, regardless of what happens, you just feel fed, don't you? You know that feeling. It's like, oh, I know that was what God wanted me to do. And it feeds something deep within us. So it's about stepping out in obedience, but it's aligning our lives with his will. According to his will, we are fed. We know we're in line with what he wants. And my, um, my sister, given that it's uh, foster and adoption day, um, uh, my sister recently adopted um, a little girl um, who is the most beautiful little person. And, uh, and she, um, ad- she adopted, or she fostered to adopt, so she fostered her from birth. 
And, uh, and she was saying that it has been the most um, unbelievably incredible journey, um, but really, really, really hard. Um, she said it's actually been the hardest thing I've ever done. <laughs> Um, and, uh, and she was saying some of the, some of the, um, the times that are particularly hard is when she's in the night and, uh, and he, you know, the, the baby's not sleeping and, and she's also, you know, getting to know this child in a different way. And, uh, and so, you know, she, she's, she's settling and, and, uh, and she was saying it's really interesting because in those moments, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the most bare you know, she's got four other kids that she's looking after as well. I'm the most bare. But she said, I feel the most nourished. <laughs> I'm the most satisfied because I know this is the will of God for my life. So this is an invitation to food, to receive food that is so much deeper, is so much greater than our circumstances is to feed on Jesus and to give up our will for his will. So I'm, I'm going to get you to stand for a minute. I'd love Neil and the band to come up. But I just want to, um, would you stand? Sorry, not very. Would you stand? I'm just going to um, pose a question, I guess. And the question, like me, where are, you, um, where are you feeding off the spoils in Jesus' language? Where are you just desperate for physical desire, whatever that looks like, to be nourished that is in 